0: How are we doing tonight? Good. For those of you who are at home, how are you guys doing? It was really quiet. We tried to hear you. (laughs) Haha, bad joke. All right. Hey, I'm Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Element City Church, and it's my pleasure to welcome you uh, to our worship service tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, we're so grateful uh, to have you uh, with us tonight. So, a couple things as we get started tonight, we just want to make you aware of first and foremost, as we always make sure everyone knows about, we have the Element City Church app. That's the best way for you to get connected to the church. So, if you don't have that, make sure that you download that to your phone. That's where a lot of our people give uh, their tithes. That's where a lot of people will get playlists so that they can keep up to date with all the worship songs that we sing. Uh, You've got events that are coming up, the calendar uh, of of things that we'll be doing, such as our tailgate party that's coming up at the end of the month. Uh, We've got, gosh, a hockey game coming up in November. So uh, Jack will let you know more about those things at the end of the service as well. Uh, If you're new with us, we just want to thank you for trying us out. That's a big deal. Uh, We get it. It's hard to go to a new place. And so if it's your first time tonight, we want to welcome you. Really, we want to give you a special welcome. We've got a free gift for you afterward at the 10-minute party as well. Uh, If you want to find out a little bit more uh, about Elements, feel free to text us at 520-340-6868. You'll get a response that has a link that you just tap the link, pop in your name, pop in your email. That'll let us properly internet stalk you so that we can get you all the information that we need to get to you uh, as well. Uh, we always like to pray for the Church of the Week around here. Uh, We know that God is working in Tucson, not just at Elements, but at the church at large. And we want to have that sort of a a heart and a vision for what God's doing in the kingdom, not just here. Uh, So let's all stand together. We're going to pray for the Church of the Week. That's First Southern Tucson. And this church has a special place in my heart because this is the first place that I did ministry when I was here in Tucson. My youth pastor uh, moved from Mesa down to Tucson the year before I graduated from high school and he became the college pastor at First Southern Baptist Church. And uh, so that's where I went for the first seven years that I lived in Tucson. And man, uh, Pastor Ed Eddingfield is the pastor there now. He wrote that they have so many people that have started to come that they don't even have enough folks to help do the ministry that they, uh, that they could be doing. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God would send the workers. That's the, the word, right? That the harvest is plentiful, it's the labors that are few. We know that. Most of us have experienced that at different points. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for us tonight. I invite you to join me as we do that. So Father, thank you uh, for First Southern Tucson. Thank you for the, the 90 plus years of ministry that they've been able to do here in town and the influence that they've had in this community, even in my life. that uh, Many of my formative years and formative lessons that I learned in ministry were there under their longtime pastor, Ron Hart under Rob Gashler, and now uh, Ed Eddingfield. We pray for him as the pastor there. We pray that you would give him all the wisdom, all the discernment that he needs to lead that church well. We thank you for the success that they've been having recently and the new folks that just continue to pour through their doors. And we ask, God, that you would equip them as a church to be able to receive the people that you are bringing to them, to help get them connected and to help uh, to make disciples and to uh, have the workers that they need to do the ministry that you have called them to do. And God, thank you for the work that you're doing here at Elements. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be on the move tonight. God, we're here in this room not just to be entertained. We want to have an encounter with you. And so we just take this moment to pause, to breathe out all the garbage, all the stuff that has just weighed us down today. And to just breathe in your grace. God, would you still our hearts in this this time? Make us aware of your presence, that you're already here, you're already working. And so God, we just give you this time, we give you our hearts, we give you our affections, whatever it is that you wanna do tonight. Would you get us out of the way so that you can do it? And so God, we gather with a spirit of joy that has a church that we can come together to lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We choose willingly to do that tonight. So God, would you raise the energy level in this room? Would you get us excited for the work that you want to do tonight as you move in power? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said.
1: on, let's put those hands together. So let's go forward, enjoy, and worship our King, right? Yes, Father, we ask you to move tonight. So we will sing and we will dance until the earth sing his praise till we see the other side. We belong to the night when the night is at its darkest. Just hold on, for the dawn will soon arise. Can you feel the winds are changing? There's a new day. Say As the graveyard springs light, So we will sing. But we will dance. Till the earth echoes to heavens. Sing His praise. Till we see the other side. Let a sleeping world awaken. There's a new day on the rise. And the enemy is shaking. As the graveyard springs we will sing, we will dance to the earth that goes to heaven. Sing his praise till we see every voice Jesus light of heaven friend forever his kingdom come i lord he is faithful amen let's pray jesus we love you we love that we can count on your word every single time lord i pray for hearts in this room to believe that right now that your word is good it's true and it is for them it is holy lord So, Lord, I I just pray for Lyle. I pray that you would speak clearly through him, Lord. I pray that our hearts are ready to receive it, Lord. Lord, we ask for your holy presence to fill this place. I pray for the words to wash over us. Jesus, we love you and we give this time to you. Jesus name amen you guys can take a seat
0: amen he is faithful isn't he we sing these songs um, and they're meant these words are really meant to penetrate our hearts and to get us to think and so maybe that's what we just need to do for a moment or two is just think how has God been faithful to you this week or is there a moment that you needed to see him move and come through in your life and you saw that he did And then to have a moment like this that we can respond and worship to thank him for that. That's the heart that we want to have. And uh, the the heart that we want to develop, not just within um, ourselves, but just within others in this church, as we make disciples and and lead people uh, in following the way of Jesus. So uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Living Hope. Uh, Jack started us out two weeks ago as we were going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, tonight we're gonna to be in First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, and so if you've missed out on the first couple weeks, you can always go back and watch those again uh, through the app. You can get links there or you can go to Elements' YouTube channel. You can find the sermons there. Uh, but really, just a, a quick recap. Week one, it's all about how do I have authentic faith? That what are the marks of a true believer and what is it that I can do uh, to make sure that the, the life that I'm living authentically represents the life that Jesus wants to reproduce within me. And then last week, uh, it was called lived in Like This, this idea that the disciples came, that Paul came with Silas and uh, Timothy to the Thessalonians, and they brought this teaching to them. They brought them the gospel. They brought them the way of Jesus. And they said, if you live the way that we live, if you do these things, they're going to see God at work within you. And so tonight, uh, it's fitting how Micah prayed here, because I've entitled this message simply Receive the Word. Receive the Word. And we're going to see why, uh, as we jump into 1 Thessalonians 2.13, uh, how many of you have seen the, the TED Talk, where it's like a very meta TED Talk, where the guy's just like saying all those statements of like, now I will say something inspirational as I stretch my arms out. You know, and he's like, just the whole thing is just... He's kind of scripting what everybody does in their TED Talk. It's really easy for um, us as pastors, let me just tell you, to think, man, what's my intro? How do I get into the sermon? What do I do with all these things? Um, And yet, gosh, God, what, what does he want from us? He doesn't want us to just show up here and to watch a TED Talk happen. And yet that's what's happened in so many churches in Western Christianity, is that we just get up and and give our little TED Talks, and then we feel inspired, and then we go on with our day. And yet what we're going to see here in Paul is that there's a power that's at work in the Word of God, where I don't need to come up with some flashy intro or some funny quip. As much as I would like to do that, that would make me feel really good about myself, to get you to laugh and to get you to think, man, that guy's really smart, right? Like, this is just me bearing my soul. Uh, But the reality is God's word is better than that. And it doesn't need me to speak for it. That's what Paul's gonna be all about here with the Thessalonians. And that's what he's communicating here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter two. So if you'd join me, uh, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 20 just to kind of paint the picture uh, for where we're going to go tonight. So we'll read the full text and we'll go back and we'll break it down kind of line by line. Uh, there's not really too much to it, which is weird for me to say because most of you are like, oh, it's Lyle up there. Uh, get ready for about 45 minutes of something. So we'll see. We'll see. I've got the clock going tonight. The goal is to keep it under 35. We will see. We will see pray for me. All right. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 through 20 it says this and we also thank God constantly for this. This is the uh, second time out of 3 that Paul here in Thessalonians and the 1 Thessalonians is going to say that he thanks God's church. So he says we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is. The word of God which is at work in you believers. See, it wasn't about a TED talk that he had to come to bring this, it was the word of God. Verse 14, he says, "'For you, brothers, became imitators "'of the churches of God and Christ Jesus "'that are in Judea. "'For you suffered the same things "'from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, "'who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, "'and drove us out and displeased God "'and opposed all mankind by hindering us "'from speaking to the Gentiles "'that they might be saved, "'so as always to fill up the measure of their sins.'" but wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is a beautiful passage from Paul that really just, you can, you can feel his heart for these people as he's communicating, as he's writing and, and closing out this section. We see that Paul is passionate for the Thessalonians, that he loves the Thessalonians and that he uh, really is deeply grieved that he was torn away from them before he wanted to be. But let's go through this passage. We'll just walk through it, like I said, from the beginning. And so right away in verse 13, what do we see? We see this when he says it. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. It's the word of God. And so what is God's word? God's word is his self-revelation to us. That's why we have the scriptures. That's why we have the Bible. God wrote this and preserved this through men. And it's not that the men who wrote these words, we call them inspired. It's not that they went into this catatonic phase and their eyes rolled into the back of their heads and they're all humana, humana, hamana, as they're writing out all these words. That didn't happen that way. At least I don't think so. Probably not. There's like a 99% chance that it didn't happen that way. But what happened was here's Paul as he's dripping out his heart and bleeding his heart out on these pages. As these words were written, and as other men wrote these words down, whether it was to, to capture history and what was taking place over time, or whether it was something to encourage the church, these words we believe were inspired, and these words tell us more about who God is and how God wants to be worshipped. And I want you to think about how ridiculous we can, ridiculously we can approach God's word sometimes. Uh, got a new friend here in the room, came a couple weeks ago, Elijah. Elijah's from Atlanta, right? Whoop it up. There it is. That's right. So Elijah and I this week, we have bonded, okay? We got to go to the U of A football game last night. He even came over this morning and commiserated with me as I watched Manchester United get destroyed by our arch rivals. But we've been bonding over sports. We've been bonding over the word of God. We've been bonding over kind of just who we are and our past and what God has done in our lives and uh, here's the funny thing. Imagine if Elijah and I went to lunch this week, and he sat down. He's like, yeah, man, I'm Elijah. I'm from Atlanta. I love the Falcons and all things sports. And I went to Syracuse, and so I love Syracuse basketball. And what if at the end of that, I was just like, whoa, hey, okay, this isn't going to work for me, buddy. Um, so I'm going to call you um, Barry. And I need you to not like Syracuse because I'm not really into the color orange. So uh, we're in Tucson, U of A, okay? I need you to embrace U of A, love U of A how ridiculous would that be? Wouldn't work, right? How many of you on your first date, that's how the first date went off, right? Like you're sitting across from uh, this person who uh, you've eventually married or maybe it's become your spouse and they're telling you all about themselves and you just start projecting onto them who you want them to be. Relationships don't work that way, do they? And if you were to get that picture in your head, it would be uh, weird, actually. If you were watching somebody on their first date and you're seeing this thing happen, you'd probably be the person who like walks by the girl and is like slipping her a note like, you need to get out of here. <laughs> Blink twice if you need me to create a diversion, right? So But the reality is, this is how we approach God's word so many times. That we come to his word in such a way that we want to project onto God what we want him to be like, as opposed to reading his word and receiving his word as for who he is to better understand his heart and the way that he wants to be worshiped, so that we can bring him joy with the way that we live our lives. That's the call of a Christian. That's why God has preserved this word for us. And so, postmodernism, if you really research into philosophy, it leads us to try to change truth so that we can fit it to our own narrative that we want to live out. But Isaiah 55 tells us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that his ways are not our ways. And so there's going to be times that we come to passages in Scripture that conflict with the way that we want the world to be, or maybe the narrative that we want to live, and we have to make a decision. Will we receive the Word of God as it is for what it says and live that out, or are we going to try to shift it to fit some narrative that we want it to? And so that's really, that's the first observation I see in the text here, and that's the question that we have to ask ourselves tonight. How do I receive the Word of God? How do you receive the Word of God? That's the question. That's the question. How do you receive God's word when it is given to you? Kind of thinking about it, there's a couple ways that we can, uh, four is the way that I've counted up here, um, ways that we can receive the word of God. So number one, uh, we can just actually not receive it. We can just totally refuse to hear it whatsoever, right? There's certain people that the moment you start to bring uh, up anything from scripture, they're just like the la, 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 right? Like they don't want to hear any of it. And they're just like, yeah, that's not for me. Please don't bring that toward me. I don't need it. I don't want it. And you know what? That's, that's their decision. That's fine, okay? We can accept that, uh, and we can respect that, and we'll just pray for that person because they can't stop us from doing that. <laughs> Am I right? So number one, how do you receive the Word of God? You could refuse to hear it. Number two, you could hear the Word of God, but you could reject it. You can hear the word of God, but reject it. I like to think of the meme, this one, of uh, Christian girls when they're like, God, please send me a man. And then uh, in the bottom part, it's like, ew, he's five foot nine. Right? Like, just cracks me up, and it's like, God's just like, oh my gosh. And uh, of course, Micah, Mike Penn, they're like, amen to that one, right? Let <laughs> me hear, boys. I got you. I got you. There it is. And then three. <laughs> So we can hear God's word, but we can actually reject it. We can choose not to to do anything with it and say, nope, that's not for me. Thirdly, we can hear it. We can agree with it. We can think, man, that's good. That's a good philosophy. That's a good way to live life. And we can do nothing with it. And the reality is that's probably, if, if we were honest, and if I'm honest with myself, as I've been putting this together this week, that's probably where I live most of the time. And the Bible says that that means that I'm like a person who goes and looks in a mirror and his hair's a mess and there's like boogies all running down and I'm just not looking good. And I'm just like, that's cool. All right, let's go. You know, that's not the the type of people that we wanna be. We wanna be the type of people that James talks about in chapter one, verse 22, when he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And that's the fourth way that we can receive God's word. And that's to accept it. And what do I mean by accept it? What I mean is you hear it you believe it, you agree with it, so you, you receive it, but now you actually appropriate it and put it into practice. I want you to think about uh, a Ferrari or maybe like a Tesla or just a really nice car, something that you're just like, man, that would be slick to drive, right? Pretend somebody gave you that car. I know, this is really fanciful. Use your imagination. Pretend someone gives you like this dream car, but what would happen if you just let it sit in the garage all the time and you never used it? What kind of gift would that be? It'd be a great gift, right? That would be the same as looking at God's word and saying, yeah, that's true, I believe that, but then not doing anything to live your life in such a way that shows that you agree that with with God's word. To receive God's word, to fully accept it is to put it into practice. It's to take the car, to get in the car and to drive it around, That's why someone gives you a car is so that you can use it. It's meant to be a blessing, something that you put to use. And as you put it to use, what happens? It changes things. It enables you to go places that you never thought you were able to go. It enables you to do things that you thought maybe you couldn't do because it was too far off. And I'm here to tell you, when we receive God's word, like the Thessalonians here, the way that Paul praised the Thessalonians for not just seeing it as philosophy, as these good words for men of wise ways of living. When we take it as God's word, what happens? It changes the trajectory of our life. That's why he says at the end that it starts to have work among the believers, right? It's at work in you believers. That's why we receive the word is so that we can see it at work among us. And the cool thing is this can happen even when only a few people in this room. Let's just say for a moment that you hear this tonight and you're like, yeah, those are good things and I wanna put that to practice. I'm gonna ponder that question and really think about it. And let's say three of you, that's it, three of you, there's just something burning within your heart right now in this moment. And you're like, he's right, I've gotta do something different. This is gonna call me to change how I'm living. And this is gonna disrupt some things. And so you choose to put that into practice and you start to live that out. But here's what I know and what I've seen before. When God starts to kindle a fire in the heart of one believer or even a couple believers, when the rest of us start to see that happen, amazing things start to take place. How many of you experienced that before too? That maybe if we're being honest, that once that first little uh, flame is fanned into being, that the rest of us, maybe life is a little dry, maybe we're the kindling, the moment that fire catches us, we're ignited and we're ready to go. What could happen if we as a church just even saw a few of us take this seriously and saw that start to spread amongst the rest of us? It's where when we see God's word, what it says, we're ready to fully accept it. We're ready to fully live it out. But here's the second thing that I see, and we see it in verse 14, that fully accepting and living by the word of God will result in your suffering. I can't paint any better picture than that. I'm sorry, okay? I know. It's a series called Living Hope, and you're like, that's a real bummer there. Great point there. Pastor Lyle, thanks for um, that living hope. So the reality is this, though. That when we live how God wants us to live, it will result in some hardship. It will result in difficulty at times because it means that you're gonna have to eliminate some relationships. It means that you'll have to stop going to certain places and stop doing certain things that maybe you used to do. It might mean that you might have to change your career path as you start to say yes to the things that God is calling you to say yes to. And you might be leaving behind something very lucrative in order to say yes to those things that God is calling you to. And it will be hard. And you will face um, questions from people that you would never have expected to question certain things. Sometimes, even from other believers who are going to ask you questions about your faith and they're like, Well, okay, calm down there, buddy. Um, let's not go too crazy. You want to sell all your stuff and move to where? What? And you'll be like, Why am I having to justify myself in this way? And yet, here's what I know, is we have to ask us this question, is it better for me to live the way that I want to live my life or is it better for me to live the way that God wants me to live the life he's given me? I know I phrased it in such a way it's pretty loaded, right? Because it should be obvious to all of us, God created life, he knows this life inside and out. He has called us to a certain way of living because he knows that that's the best way of living. And so maybe... You've been living your own way. And I just want to ask you, how's that been going for you? Do you find yourself perfectly at peace? Do you find yourself perfectly fulfilled and content? Or is there still an emptiness or a longing for something more? And that maybe that longing is because you were not made for this world. You were made for another. And so God, who's from that other world, has given us the way to live knowing that that's the best way. That's the way that we're going to find joy. That's the way that we will find peace. That's the way for us to find contentment. It kind of makes me think of uh, at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus gives this hard saying to a bunch of his followers and literally just thins out his crowd because people hear it and they're like, that's creepy. And they literally just walk off. And Jesus, in just a real moment of vulnerability, turns to his disciples and asks them if they're going to leave too. And Peter said this, he said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. That's the type of life that Jesus is calling us to. That's the sort of faith that Jesus is calling us to. Because there's a purpose to what Jesus is asking us to do. There's a purpose to all of this stuff in his word, that yes, we will suffer and we will face hardship, but there's a purpose behind it. It makes me think of a story of a pastor I heard whose brother was a Navy SEAL and went through SEAL training. In fact, there was a documentary on TV uh, a while ago, where they kind of showed seal school and the training and how that went, and his brother was a part of it and uh, he said there was this moment um, that really kind of freaked him out where uh, all the the guys had to lay down next to a pool, right so they 're laying down and the pool's behind them, and they 've got their uh, their masks on uh, i don 't even know what they 're called because i don 't do any of that stuff, so they got the goggles right the little oxygen, so um, they dip their heads underwater they have to pull the goggles off their face real quick to let water get in because they're being trained on what do you do if it gets breached when you're out in the field and so they'll train you and they say here's what you do most people are going to want to panic but you have to fight the urge to panic and you have to relax if you can relax and breathe normally through your nose and trust the oxygen what you can do is you can actually uh, evacuate the water through your nostrils down into your mouth kind of spit you know like neti pot style it's the weirdest thing but if you relax enough, you can do this and you can clear the mask and you'll be okay. If you panic, you're just gonna vomit all over yourself. I know, right? Great trade-off, isn't it? So what happens? Most of the guys go in, they kind of pull the masks and then they come out and there's just guys puking everywhere because like they're just, they're panicked. That's what you do. That's what happens. That's why they have to go through training so that they stop doing this. Um, but this pastor said his brother was able to do it on the first try and he was like, man, how did, how did you do that? And he's like, I just trusted what the instructors told me. These guys have done it before. They're not wasting my time, and I have to believe that. God is not here to waste your time, folks. We have to believe him. He's shown himself to be faithful. And so we can see that, yes, as we follow God's word and live it out, like the Thessalonians who received hardship, who suffered at the hands of their own countrymen, is what Paul says in verse 14. That there will be times you will suffer hardship because you're following God's word. And yet there's a purpose to it. There's something better. And so let's amend that. Am I allowed to change a point in the middle of the sermon? Ha, of course I am because I pre-planned it. So we're going to change that second point to this. Fully accepting and living by the word of God will result in your suffering. But it's worth it.
1: It's worth it. His
0: life is better. The way of Jesus is better. And we've got to believe that. That's our living hope. That's the hope that leads us forward, that following after him will result in something far greater than if I live for my own story. But if we move on in the text, uh, we kind of get to this weird passage that even as we read it, some of you are probably like, whoa. Um, and so I, I, did, I could have skipped this, but I didn't want to skip over it because I wanted us to stop and say, uh, to ask this question. And so here's the question. How do we treat hard texts of the Bible? How do we treat them? Because if we read verses 14 through 16, it says this. It says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. And it's really easy to read that passage and be like, whoa, Paul, when did you become an anti-Semite? Right? Like, it's a little bit uncomfortable, is it not? That he's like right here just calling out the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people uh, for the way that they have persecuted the church. And then to finish that up, but wrath has come upon them at last. Like, it's almost like Dr. Evil cackling, right? Like, you're like, Paul, that's weird, bro. And so what do we do when we get to hard texts of the Bible? Uh, And here's my advice to you. Don't get offended. Don't shut down. Get curious. That's it. Get curious. He wrote it for a reason. And so before I'm like, whoa, whoa. Paul clearly hates Jewish people. That's weird. Uh, I need to get curious, and I need to start asking questions. Like, why would he say this? What's going on? And so this is where we use our resources. And so one of the best resources, I say it almost every time I'm up here, soniclight.com, Dr. Constable's Bible Notes, right? Go there. It's free. It's wonderful. And so you can read uh, through and get some context here. Because it really does sound like Paul doesn't like Jewish people. But here's what we have to remember. Paul's Jewish. Paul's like majorly Jewish, like he knew the law, he knew the Torah, he knew all of this better than anybody else. That's why he was able to go to synagogue after synagogue and argue that Jesus was the Christ, that he fulfilled all the scriptures. In fact, if you read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, you cannot help but see Paul's heart that all Jewish people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as their Savior. So Paul actually does love Jewish people. He desires their salvation. And so what we see from the context when we read into it is that Paul is actually referring to Judeans and he's referring to the Jewish leaders and the high priests who had rejected Jesus as Messiah. But they didn't stop there. They actually hated Jesus and they hated the followers of Jesus so much so that they would follow Paul around simply to stop the spread of the gospel. Now, why would they do that? I am so glad you asked that question, because it's time to nerd out a little bit. That's right. We've got a five-minute nerd out. Five-minute nerd out. That's for those of you who are new and... Haven't had one before. Uh, I'm a little bit nerdy. I know that. I used to work at Apple, so like I've got the, you know, glasses I can push up. So I used to say at the Genius Bar, like when I'd explain technical stuff, let's get our nerd hats on and let's dive in. So really what the five-minute nerd out is this. We want to paint a picture of what the text is actually saying. We need to get some context to this passage. And so we're going to nerd out for less than five minutes, I promise. I've timed it before. And uh, we're going to look at what's going on here. Because Paul says this to the Thessalonians, he says, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, the same way that Jewish people and Christians in Jerusalem suffered from the Judeans, okay? So um, why did the Thessalonians suffer from their own countrymen? Jack talked a little bit about Thessaloniki. That's how you would say it now. It's still the second largest city in Greece, actually. But for our five-minute nerd out, I want us to look at Thessalonica, ancient Thessalonica, and what do we need to know about that that will give us the context to understand what Paul's talking about. So Thessalonica, um, Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible says this about it. It says, it's the chief city of Macedonia and the seat of Roman administration in the century before Christ. So this was a pretty prominent city in the Roman Empire even before Jesus came onto the picture. So in addition to being a magnificent harbor that was on the Aegean Sea, Thessalonica had the good fortune of being located on the overland route from Italy to the east. This famous highway was called the Ignatian Highway, and it ran directly through the city of Thessalonica. So think about it. You've got a city that is huge, that's right off of a port, or it is a port city, it's right off the Aegean Sea, and so there's tons of business that's coming in through sea, but also its location is perfect, because remember what the Romans did? The Romans would conquer an area, and what would they do? They would build a road to it, why? Because they wanted their army to be able to march to wherever they needed to march to, to defend the land, and really, because they wanted to quash any rebellion. So there's this road that Italy had built, the Roman road, that would connect Italy all the way into China and into areas of the far east. And this road would pass right through Thessalonica. So you've got a huge trading center by sea, a huge trading center by land as well. Furthermore, the Thessalonians remained loyal to Anthony and Octavian during the second civil war that was between Caesar and Pompey, And because of that, the city of Thessalonica was given a special status as a free city. What does that mean? It means the people there were tax-exempt. That's a big deal, because if we know anything about the Romans and their empire, they taxed people pretty heavily, and they would tax their people to get their money. And so why did people not receive the gospel? Why were people so violent against Paul in this? And here's why. Uh, It's because these folks knew that Caesar could change his mind at any point in time. He could pull their tax-exempt status, because the Romans would typically give people the freedom to worship however they chose to worship, so long as... When the moment came, you would declare Caesar is Lord. As long as you said Caesar is Lord, they didn't care. But now you've got these followers of the way and they come along and they refuse to say it. So what do they say? Jesus is Lord. Now, we hear that phrase and we're like, oh yeah, that's something we hear all the time. We might sing it in songs, we see it in banners in churches all the time. But to say Jesus is Lord in that time, that's a political statement. That's more than a political statement. That's a statement that could get you put to death. Because you're rejecting the Caesar as Lord, as the one who gets to rule over you. And you're saying, no, I submit to a higher authority than Caesar. For the Romans, there was no higher authority. And so when you get the Christians coming along saying that Jesus is Lord and telling other people the same and leading other people to make the same decision, what happens? People freak out because they're afraid they're going to lose their tax-exempt status. And so, yes, people would reject the gospel. Okay, that's happening here, that they're rejecting Jesus. But not only that, this is an act of self-preservation for them to go around and try to shut down Paul because they're trying to avoid future taxation. They're trying to protect the wealth that they've built up. You can actually read the book of Acts if you want to see how often this happens, though, where Paul would go to a city and he would preach the gospel And then he would immediately just be opposed by many people. Uh, Acts 17, actually, is the one that gives us the particular details of this situation in Thessalonica. But here's the cool thing. Here was the method of Paul that gets missed so often. Paul would go into a synagogue. Jack's talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Paul would show up in a city and what did he do? He'd go to the synagogue first. He'd preach the gospel to the Jews. He'd call them to repent and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. If they received it, great. He now had a teaching base for the rest of the city. If they rejected him and they rejected this message, he would now take the message to the Gentiles or to those who weren't Jewish in the city. And so he would find people of peace. He'd find a household that would receive him. In Thessalonica, we know that's the house of Jason. We know that from Acts 17, which you could go back and read, like I said. I'm hinting that maybe you should do that. It would be helpful just to, you know, now you'll know some of these things. Um, But here's the cool thing. When Paul would be rejected by the crowds and when the crowds would start to come after him, here's what Paul did. Paul was so smart. Gosh, he was good. He would absorb all of this heat. All these people would get so angry and they would want Paul and they would want his head. And he was the one that they would want to arrest. And Paul would leave behind the people that he journeyed with. And so Timothy and Silas and Barnabas and Luke, and he mentions Demas and many others, he would leave them behind and they would just do this ninja discipleship. Where now that Paul's taking all of the heat, everybody else over here is establishing the church in the city. And so the Christians who believed and received God's word for what it was got to know Jesus better and they got to know it quietly and they didn't have all the heat that Paul had because Paul's over here absorbing all of that anger and vitriol that everyone would have to spit out at him. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And this is why the church could explode because they didn't want Timothy. They didn't want Silas. Everyone was going after Paul and he would leave these guys behind and they would lead people to Christ But what we see in all of this, what's the point? We see that uh, this observation here, there is an enemy that you have that opposes your growth as a Christian and the follower of the way of Jesus. That's the reality. Part of suffering because we receive God's word is this very thing here. That as I embrace God's word and I begin to live it out, there is an enemy who opposes my growth. There is an enemy who opposes your growth. That as you make good decisions and you start to follow after Christ with a pure heart and a pure motive, there's an enemy who wants to derail that. And you have to know that. You have to be aware of that because that strengthens us for the battle. And one thing that will help is to know yourself. Know the areas of weakness that you have. If there's something that you start to see as a pattern in your life, something that triggers you to be angry, start to recognize, man, that's an area that the enemy can really get after me. And now as you begin to pray against that, as you begin to to work on that, that no longer becomes a, a foothold, as the word says, that the enemy can have in your life. And so the language that's used here in verse 16 and verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul talks twice about being hindered as he was trying to bring the gospel to the Thessalonians. First, it was their own countrymen who tried to hinder it. And in verse 18, he says, it was actually Satan who hindered us from coming back to you. That word for hindered uh, that he uses there, it's a, a Greek word that's actually a military term that would describe how soldiers would completely destroy and cut up a road so thoroughly that people could no longer pass on it. And so it was a military strategy that if you knew an army was marching and it was a large army, you'd just put every obstacle in their way so they couldn't even get to you. And that's what they would do. They would raise these roads. They would destroy them and pile up the rubble. And I tell you, Anya and I, we got to go to Ukraine a couple of years ago. We did some missions work in the southeastern part of the country. And it was fascinating to drive on a highway that was empty. Talk about a six-lane highway that was just empty for probably a good hour and a half and you couldn't really drive too fast on it because there's just holes everywhere but you would get to these places where like one side of the road was completely impassable because they'd blow up these overpasses or they'd knock down all this rubble and they'd build that up and fortify these positions that's what's happening this is the word that that paul is using to describe how strongly the enemy opposes your growth as a follower of christ And the reason he opposes it is this. What happens when we receive the word of God as it truly is, as divine revelation, when we appropriately put it into practice in our lives, when we persist in obedience despite any hardship, despite any opposition from others, it's this. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we begin to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's more love in our life, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, more self-control. And we see this growing and it manifests itself in a beautiful love for others. And we see this very clearly in Paul in this last section. Verse 17 through 20, he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You see, Paul had a deep affection for the Thessalonians. He first saw uh, this faith in the Thessalonians for himself, and later on after they had to leave He sent Timothy back, and Timothy brought back this report. That's why Paul's writing this letter. And so now he's heard of the faith that the Thessalonians have persisted in and have grown in. And this resolute faith has become a great hope for the days ahead for Paul. And it's become one of his deepest joys to see the gospel take root and flourish in their life. And so the last kind of observation that I see here is this, that teaching others to follow Jesus and then seeing them do so will be for your great joy. Parents, you understand this well, don't you? That you have children that you create, your progeny that you bring into this life. And what is the hope when you're holding your child for the first time? Like you'd be willing to do anything to make sure that that child could flourish and have everything that he or she would need to be successful. Isn't that right? And that's what discipleship is meant to be about. Put a different way, we know it this way. uh, It's better to give than it is to receive, right? And so what's happened is we've received the word of God, but what we have to remember is that you were saved not just for yourself and not just for your own future hope, but you were saved for others. Think about the family members in your life. Think about the friends and the coworkers that might be around you that aren't sitting here in this room yet. But what if God got a hold of your life that as you received his word and as it began to take root in your heart and you lived it out and began to let this pour out from your life, if suddenly your friends that you thought would never be open to faith suddenly see the winsomeness of Jesus in your life to where they're ready to respond, they're like, man, what's going on there? What could happen in a couple years if those folks were sitting in this room because you were faithful to pour your faith out and reproduce your faith in others? That's what happens with parents, right? Parents reproduce themselves into their children whether they want to or not. All of your best habits, all of your worst habits, your kids pick them up, don't they? I know I did for my dad on several things and my mom would be happy to tell you about some of those things. Um, And yet... That's the language of discipleship that Paul uses here as parenting language, because it makes sense. For those of you again that have kids, you get this, because you want your children to grow in the way of the Lord. You want to do everything you can so that they can be successful in that. And yet that's the heart that God wants us to have. And so really a question is this: Is your faith growing tired and weary? When you receive God's word, does it ever seem to just kind of fall flat? And if it has? If you come to church and you're the type who just, you feel like there's just not been enough for you recently, it's time to not just to put into practice the things that you've learned from the word of God, but now it's time to reproduce those things in others. That's why we as a church harp on discipleship. We want you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we need to model that as church leaders, yes, but we can't do it alone. Paul couldn't do it alone. Paul knew he couldn't do it alone. Paul knew he needed a team of people because he had to be the guy that would absorb the heat. But what happened was he had his guys who were ready to go. That the moment all the attention was on Paul, they got to work with a purpose, with a passion, with a vigor to reproduce their faith in others. That's what discipleship's about. And you might be sitting here thinking, man, I've got very little to offer. I, I don't know what, to, what I can give to others. Spoiler alert. Here you go. You ready? This is the, the, what you do. Teach others what you're being taught. That's it. Teach others what you're being taught. In fact, we encourage people to sign up for discipleship around here because we've got curriculum that's easily reproducible that you can walk people through that will show them just the foundational things that we as Christians believe and want to put into practice in our lives. And that's, it's a simple thing to go through. It takes time, yes. It takes half a year, probably upwards to probably seven to nine months if we're being honest. But it's life-changing. It can be if you let it be. Why? Because that's what God's word does when it's active among believers, right? And we want it to have work not just within us, but within others. And I promise you this, that when you make the effort and become intentional about reproducing your faith in someone else, when you start to see that taking hold in their life, you will feel a joy that you've never felt before. I know because I'm proof of that. My passion was always music. My passion was always to lead worship. That was my thing when I was in my 20s. I was like, I'm going to be a worship leader for life. Yeah. And uh, I distinctly remember sitting on my couch in my studio apartment. It was off of like, Sixth Street details, you don't need to know. Seventh Street, technically, sorry. Um, Playing video game, right? And I just remember God saying, hey, it's time for you to start a small group. Literally, it was just like I'm playing a game and just like, wait, what? You know, and and so it's like, you need to start a small group. And I was just like, I don't want to, okay? Like, that's not me. I'm a worship leader, not a small group leader. And God's like, nope, I've called you to make disciples. I was like, okay, you've also called me to lead worship. I know this. I said, no, I've called you to make Disciples. I was 22 years old, and he said this. I I just distinctly remember God putting this thought into my heart. Don't you think there's something that you now know at 22 that you wish you would have known at 18? And my heart sank because I was like, "He's right. Dang it!" And he got me. And it was it was life changing. Because that changed the trajectory of my future when I began to recognize that I was called by the Great Commission to go make disciples, not to go lead worship. And so as I began to pour myself into others, there just came this point in my late 20s where I recognized my greatest passion wasn't music, it wasn't worship. My greatest passion was to see discipleship happen, to see other people growing deeply into their faith in Jesus and beginning to put those things into practice. I had a far deeper joy. And still to this day, I receive far greater joy when I see people get it in that sense than when we have a good worship night or when we have some powerful moment of worship. Those moments are great, don't get me wrong. But I know that those moments are fleeting. That's why we do it every week, because we want to have more experience and more encounters with, with God in that way. And yet, what I know about discipleship is this. When it sinks in, that is eternal, the change. That is something that has the ability to completely change someone's life and the trajectory of their life and their future as they follow after Jesus. It's so much more fulfilling when you see others receiving because you have something to give, and I'm here to tell you, every person in this room, you have something to give. And so that's the message tonight. Again, there's the TED talk, right? You got to have your nice little ending and wrap it all up. Um, but no, I believe God's word is more powerful than that. That's the call for all of us: is to ask this week, how am I doing receiving the word of God? Do I receive it as it is, as divine revelation? Do I just look at it as good philosophy? Is this something that I'm willing to put into practice? And if I'm willing to put it into practice, how am I reproducing this in other people? That's the call. That's where Jesus wants us to go. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just wanna thank you um, for the work that you're doing in our church. I wanna thank you for... um, Just a time that we can gather together to sing songs of worship, to know who you are through these songs, and to respond to your character, and to praise you for who you are. And yet, I also thank you for these times that we get to dive into your word, and we just get to see what it says, and be challenged by what it calls us to do. And so, I just pray tonight, Holy Spirit, would you begin to to bring about a holy conviction that we need to have as we ask this question, how well do I receive God's word? Is God's word even a priority in my life? Am I even making any time for it? And if I'm not, how can I begin to carve out just a little bit of time each day to begin to let it penetrate my heart so I can better know you, Jesus, so I can better worship you, Jesus because I want to introduce others to you and the life change that you have to give and you have to bring for each and every one of us and tonight we want to take time to remember uh, communion to remember the way that Jesus sat with his disciples for the last meal and as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 he said uh, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it when he had given thanks, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we want to have the heart of the Thessalonians, the heart to receive your gospel message each and every time we hear it. And that's why we gather around the table and why we participate in communion as followers of you is to remember that you were broken for us. Your blood was poured out for us so that we could have relationship with the Father once again. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That there is a better life that you have for us to live if we would follow after you. And give our lives to you. And so would you just create a space, a sacred space now, Holy Spirit, for each person as they uh, take the elements, whether they're at home and they have to grab uh, some crackers and some juice, um, or for those of us who are in the room who have the wafer and the grape juice. They mean so much more to us, Jesus. And so let the gospel have its full effect tonight. Let it settle in our hearts. Let it renew our hearts and renew our minds as we're called back to you and called back to the way that you've called us to live as well. So have your way in this time, Jesus. We give it all to you.
2: You're
3: never gone. You're never
4: never going to let us down that's the beauty that we get to hold on to. We're so grateful that you got to worship with us and we got to worship together tonight. Uh, Lyle, thank you uh, for bringing that and we'll continue on in that series uh, next week. So just some housekeeping things. For those of you online, uh, thanks for tuning in and taking a chance with us. For those of you here in the room, uh, if you happen to be new, we throw a 10-minute party right back there in the corner. Lyle will be there and we'd love to meet you uh, and just say, hey, we've got a gift for you. Tonight. Uh, so, just some quick things that are happening. Second Saturday food distribution is next Saturday, which means we're packing food on Friday morning and distributing it out at 8 a.m. next Saturday if you want to help us with that. Uh, we'll be right here in the parking lot uh, and praying with folks. We got the tailgate party coming up on the 23rd. Wear your favorite NFL jersey or soccer jersey if you're into that. Um, and then we need candy uh, for our end of the month uh, fall festival. So there's a big giant box out there. Let's fill it up uh, with some candy. You're out at stores. You know what they sell at stores? Candy. Okay. Uh, so like you can grab some bags of candy, bring it. We'll uh, give some uh, candy out to kids. Also tonight is dinner at Black Bear Diner, right? Okay, Blackberry Diner. If you want to go to dinner, we got a group of people to go out to dinner every Sunday night. You're invited to that. If you're online, I guess you can get in your car and meet us down there. Uh, it'll be about 20 minutes from now. Ten-minute party will start. If you missed the Israel trip, we are looking to do an Israel trip in two years. If you missed the pre-service to that and you want to catch a little bit of information on that, I will be down front here in ten minutes because we have a 10-minute party. So in 10 minutes, I will be down here, and I'd love to meet with you and answer questions for you if you want to go to the Holy Land with us in a couple years. So, sound good? All right. God, would you bless us as we leave from here? God, we want to be people who receive your word and who turn and invest that into others. And so would you give us opportunities to pray with people this week? Would you give us opportunities to share what you're doing in our lives? Would you give us opportunities to invest the hope that you're instilling within us and to breathe that into other people? Uh, Our world needs that. And so we get to be your instruments. We get to be your church this week as we go from here. Would you bless us, bring us back together to worship you? Um, And we just, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Final thing. Sorry, I forgot. Friday night, if you want to be a part of a worship night uh, at Casas Church Central uh, Christian from Vegas, and Thrive Worship is doing a free worship night. Uh, I sent you an email. It has the information. It's in the app, too. But you can join us there Friday night if you want to be a part of it. Later.